I'd like to continue our study, which we began on Sunday, called the Advent of Jesus Christ. If you weren't here on Sunday, don't be alarmed, please. I think that we can be sure that you are able to follow along. But as we come together this evening to celebrate our Christmas Eve service, I want to challenge you to ask yourselves one question. And this would be the question that I would ask that you take with you not only through the service this evening, but I'd ask that you take this home with you tonight. I'd ask that you take this with you wherever you go tomorrow, and it's very simple. This is my question to you. Who is this child? Who is this child? Just four words. Think about that for a few minutes. I mean, whom is it that we are here to celebrate? Why are we celebrating? Who is it that was born and placed in the manger that Christmas night? Who was that? Who is this child that we are celebrating? Because that really is the most important question that you're going to ask yourselves this season. In fact, I would suggest that it's probably the most important question that anyone will ask you this Christmas season. In fact, I might take it a step further. And I would say this is probably the most important question that you will ever be asked. Who is this child? Who is this child? You see, the answer to that question, as you consider it, and your heart's subsequent handling of that child, and what you will do with that child, and who you determine him to be, will determine the eternal fate of your souls. Who is this child? And if you were here on Sunday, I told you that this child, as we think of him on Christmas Day, this child, as we think of him this Christmas Eve, I want you to know that this child is no longer a cuddly little baby. We come together to celebrate every Christmas this cuddly little bundle of joy that was received by Joseph and Mary and placed in the manger because there was no room for them in the end. And when I ask you, who is this child? You might say, well, he's little baby Jesus. But I'm here to tell you this evening that He is not little baby Jesus anymore. I'm here to tell you this evening that He is not a cuddly little baby anymore. Rather, He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords. And for you to acknowledge Him as that and for you to embrace Him as that is for you to enter into heaven. On the other hand, for you to deny it is for you to condemn your very souls to eternal hell is really the determining question of eternity. Ask yourselves, who is this child? Who is this little baby that we have come to worship? Who is this baby that the entire world celebrates around? Who is this little child around whose birth everyone stops? The entire calendar stops and the historical timeline is divided. Who is this child? What child that has ever been born has had that power on humanity? What child is this? Who is this child? Well, in Deuteronomy 19, the Lord established for the people of Israel that any matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so this evening I would like to bring to you some witnesses to help you answer that question. Allow it to just bounce off the walls of your mind. Who is this child? And I would call several witnesses for you. And of course in doing those I've recognized that the witnesses must of course be people of sufficient moral character that their testimony may be believed. I wouldn't expect you to receive the testimony of someone with less than outstanding moral character. In fact, in biblical times if a witness presented false or untrue testimony, that witness was himself put to death. So this is a very serious matter. 
And so I call several witnesses for you this evening that you can look to, and I ask you to check out their moral character. I ask you to find out for yourselves who are these people who are testifying on behalf of this little baby. Earlier this evening, I read for you what is very easily recognized as the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. And I read to you the narrative as it was recorded by the great historian Luke. And as we read, you remember obviously that we read about the shepherds who had seen an angel. These shepherds saw the angel who told them that the Savior had been born. And I want you to know that Savior, the word Savior is a reference to the fact that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. That's what those angels were saying. They were saying that He is the Messiah. But to be fair, we really know nothing of the moral character of the shepherds who reported having seen the angels, do we? We really don't know anything about them. We don't know how reliable their testimony is, if we're being fair. We only know that they saw a few angels. It's a fantastic story. I mean, it's a great story to hear, but can we really count on the word of these shepherds? Who are these people? We don't know them. And truthfully, we really know nothing about the content of their interaction with Mary and Joseph when they went there to the stable that night. We only know that they saw an angel, and they went to a place where the child was born. They saw the parents... They saw the child, and when they walked away, they walked away praising God. So something had happened there. We don't know what. And that's really all we know. Luke doesn't bother to tell us about the arrival of the wise men from the east sometime after the birth of Christ. You can read about that in the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. But if you do read about that, you're going to find that once again, we really don't know much about the moral character of those wise men. We know that their hearts were filled with joy. We know that they saw this miraculous sign and they followed that sign. And it led them to the place where this child was was lying. And we know that their hearts were sufficiently convinced that Jesus was the King of the Jews to have made this treacherous and this incredibly long journey with their entire entourage of people and with all their entourage of supporting help. We know that they found the child. We know that they also found his parents. But once again, what do we really know about these men? What do we know about their character? What do we really know about their interaction with the family? We know that they were sufficiently convinced that he was someone important, that they gave very costly gifts that were fitting for a king. We know that. They gave very lavish and expensive gifts. But that's really all we know about him, isn't it? We don't know much more about their interaction with him. So I'd like to show you something this evening to help properly establish the matter that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Can I do that? Through the Scripture, I'm going to share with you what cannot be separated from the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. You probably haven't heard of this often. It's often overlooked. But we must establish the matter of Jesus Christ according to the requirement of the law. Now, eight days after Jesus was born, this little baby, he was circumcised according to Jewish custom. And after the subsequent period of purification, he was taken to the temple. And when they got to the temple, this baby now is almost two weeks old by the time he gets to the temple. And I want you to follow along as you see what happened when he got there. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So I just want to pause there for a moment. Here we have a man of outstanding moral character. 
Luke tells us, Luke the historian says that he was righteous, which means that he was just. He was innocent of any moral wrongdoing. He was upright in character. He was a fair man. He was a holy man. We know these things about him. All of those characteristics are facets of the word righteous. But I want you to know that not only is he righteous, the Bible tells us that he is also devout. Now, when we think of devout, I think we oftentimes think that to mean that he was committed or he was, he was certainly committed to his cause, and he certainly was. That's true. But I want you to understand that it means that he had well taken hold of. That's what the Greek verb means, that he had well taken hold of what he believed. He held tightly to his convictions. When he felt something, he really felt it. When he believed something, he really believed it and he held tightly to his convictions. That's what that means. Another way for you to think of it is that he was prudent. He was pious. That's the kind of guy he was. Simeon is a guy who is a fantastic character witness. He's a guy whose testimony you can trust. He's a guy we can believe. In fact, if you were to establish a legal matter and you were an attorney... You would probably want this kind of guy on your roster of witnesses. He's the kind of guy you would want to testify for you. He's a well-respected man of very high character. So what? So what about him? Take a look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him, this is Simeon, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit himself revealed things to this man. The Holy Spirit himself came to this man and revealed things of his own character and revealed things of himself unto this man. And this to me is further evidence that he's a credible witness, but let's move on. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, look, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, being Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is a reference to the Messiah. That's what Simeon is saying. You have allowed me to see the Messiah. You have allowed me to see the one who would save God's people from their sins. Verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all of the peoples, listen, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So here is this righteous man. This committed man, this pious man, whose testimony we know to be remarkably credible. And what is his testimony? His testimony is an answer to the question that I would like you to ask yourselves. Who is this child? Who is this child? Well, if you ask Simeon, this credible witness, he would tell you, the Holy Spirit came to me, and the Holy Spirit indicated to me that this child is God's salvation. The Holy Spirit came to me and he indicated to me that this child is God's Messiah. Do you understand? He is the one who will be the light for revelation even to the Gentiles. Friend Simeon is saying he's the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. That's what Simeon is saying. He's saying not only will he save the Jews, but he will also save the non-Jews as well. His impact will be worldwide. That's the testimony of this man concerning this two-week-old baby. 
He sees this two-week-old baby, and that is his testimony concerning this little baby. He's saying this baby is God in the human flesh. That's what he's saying. And that's really the real point of his testimony, isn't it? And now I want you to look at the reaction of Jesus' parents in verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. This word marveled could also be translated by saying they were amazed. The noun form of this verb can be used to mean miracle or a wonderful thing. Do you see? So when you put it in its verb form, you get a better sense of how stunned they were by this. This is miraculous is what they're saying. We are amazed by this. This is absolutely stunning. That's the reaction to his parents at having Simeon having said that Jesus is the Messiah. Now I wonder, at this point, isn't it hard to imagine that anything would have that profound effect on them? Think about this. Is it possible that anything would have that kind of an effect on them? How do you amaze a couple who is having a baby without having had any form of intimacy? How do you amaze a couple who had never been together and who was still having a baby? How do you surprise them? How do you amaze a couple in which both have been visited by an angel? How do you amaze a couple to whom a huge entourage of eastern kings have been led by a star? How do you amaze a couple to whom angels have directed shepherds? How do you amaze these people? What could you possibly say to them that was so profoundly wonderful that they would be amazed by it? What could you say to them at this point that would surprise them? Can you imagine? But to be honest, I think they lived in a constant state of amazement, don't you? These two teenagers, that they would have found favor with the Almighty God, was a stunning truth to them. It was a stunning reality to them that He would have chosen them to bring to the earth and to raise God Himself in human form. The thought of that is absolutely amazing. Let me take you to our second witness now. Take a look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So here's Anna, this wonderful lady, the beautiful name that means favor or beautiful. She married her husband as a young girl, as a virgin, as a a very young girl, which would have been customary in that day. But seven years after she got married, her husband died. And so here she is as a young girl. She'd been guarding her purity and her virtue closely. And she wanted to do what was right from a moral standpoint. But then her husband dies, and now she's got no one to take care of her. And so she went to the temple and decided, I'll just serve here. I'll live here, and I'll serve everyone night and day. And she did that until she was 84 years old. Just like Simeon, Anna was a very just lady. She was an honest, righteous lady. She was very pious. She was committing, obviously, she was committed to serving the Lord as she was there night and day for probably 70 years. 
She was a committed and well-respected woman at the temple. Everyone knew her. Everyone respected her. Everybody knew who she was. And everyone knew her to be a woman of highest character. And I want you to see what happened when she met the two-week-old baby Jesus. This is what she says in verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him, that's Jesus, to all who were waiting for the what? For the redemption of Israel. Listen. She gave thanks to God. And she began to tell the people who were in earshot about the redemption of Israel, that Jesus Christ is here. What does that mean? It means that people who are waiting for the redemption of Israel would hear from her that he is here. Friends, who is the redemption of Israel? Who is the redemption of the world? It's the Messiah. That's what she was saying. Her testimony is that the Messiah is here. Her testimony of this very credible will, of this witness was to give thanks to God because this little baby is the Messiah. That's who she says he is. He's the promised redeemer of Israel. And not only did she say it, she spoke of him to everyone who would listen. She didn't hesitate. She didn't wonder if she was wrong. She knew. She knew exactly who he was, and her testimony is this. Look, the Messiah, God in human flesh, is here. That's the testimony of this credible witness. Once again, a very credible witness. Now, you see, the matter of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, God in human flesh, has been established, first of all, by his parents who testified that they had never had intimacy and that the angel had come to them and told them that the baby was God's own baby. That was the testimony of their parents. You have the testimony of Simeon, who was remarkably credible. You have the testimony of Anna, who is remarkably credible. But is that enough to convince you? Is that enough to establish the matter of this child being the Son of God? Let's just concede for a moment that it's not. Let's just imagine that it's not enough to prove that He's the Son of God. Let me show you a few other things. We can start with the claim of Jesus Himself. Jesus Himself claimed to be the Son of God. The first time we see written record of that was when Jesus was as young as 12 years old. He constantly addressed God by calling Him Father. This is the most commonly occurring form of address that Jesus uses for God in the gospel accounts. So Jesus clearly thought that he was the Son of God. Is that good enough for you? Maybe not. What about the testimony of John the Baptist, the most powerful, the most well-respected, the most incredible preacher of the time, who looked at Jesus Christ, pointed at him, and said in John one thirty four. I have seen and have become witness that this guy right here is the Son of God. How about that? Is that good enough? Maybe not. What about the testimony of God Himself? Would that convince you? Because God Himself testified at the baptism of Jesus Christ, and He testified again at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Take a look at Matthew three seventeen, And behold, a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. It's pretty compelling testimony, isn't it? That God himself would point to Jesus and say, that's my son. I'm happy with him. He's great. And I want you to know that these are all events for which there were corroborating witnesses. None of these things happen in a vacuum without witnesses around. It happened publicly and it has never been denied. Those things have never been denied. Likewise, 
Do you know that the miracles of Jesus Christ bear witness to the fact that He is the Son of God? Once again, Jesus publicly demonstrated His authority over all aspects of human life. During His three-year adult ministry, He publicly healed the thousands and thousands and thousands of sick people who came to Him. There is no evidence of anyone ever having been healed of things like flat feet or upset stomach by Jesus Christ. He didn't do that. What we read in the Bible is that He publicly healed people who were blind. He publicly healed people who were deaf. He publicly cleansed the skin of the leper. He publicly healed those with congenital defects and congenital illnesses. He publicly healed people who had serious physical maladies. And no one ever denied it. No one ever denied His miracles. Why not? They couldn't. Too many people had seen it. Not even his enemies. None of his detractors ever made one single claim that he had not healed people. No one ever made one single claim that he had not cast out demons. No one ever made a single claim that he had not created food from nothing. No one ever made the claim that he hadn't taken charge of nature or that he had not raised people from the dead. Nobody ever claimed that. Too many people saw it. No one could deny it. Who is this child? Who does that? Who does that? I mean, who is this child? Who is he? Let me give you one more thing to consider, if I may. I think without a doubt, the most compelling piece of evidence that Jesus is the Son of the living God is found in His resurrection from the dead. You see, long before He died, Jesus told people exactly how long He was going to be dead. He told them that He would die how long He'd be in the grave. And He told them that He would rise again from the dead. The religious leaders heard Him make that claim. They understood what He was saying. They knew His message. And as you know, they murdered Him just as He had said. Three days later, just as He had claimed, He rose from the dead. Exactly the way that He said He would. There were guards who were standing watch over his tomb and they testified that he had risen from the dead. There were women who had come to prepare his body and they testified that he had risen from the dead and that they had personally seen him and had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. His disciples testified that he had risen from the dead and that they had personally seen him and had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that at one point after his death, Jesus had even appeared to more than 500 people at the same time. Who does that? Who is this child? Who is this child? I mean, who does that kind of thing? Who is this child? Laying there in the manger that night with teenage parents giving him the best care that they possibly can, laying there in a manger in a smelly stable with animals all around, lying there peacefully as angels are appearing in the countryside to testify that He's born, lying there quietly as the shepherds come hoping to catch a glimpse of this miracle baby, patiently resting as the huge entourage of rich kingmakers from the east come to worship Him and present Him with incredibly costly gifts, circumcised on the eighth day according to Jewish custom, called God's salvation, called the light of the Gentiles by righteous and honest Simeon, called the redemption of Jerusalem by the righteous and honest prophetess Anna, called the Son of God by the most powerful preacher in the world, 
called my beloved son by God himself. Who do you think this child is? Who is this child? May I suggest to you that this little baby in swaddling cloths is exactly what the evidence suggests that he is? May I suggest to you that this little baby actually is the Word made flesh? May I suggest to you that this little baby actually is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Uh, Who is this child? May I suggest to you that He is the Holy Child? May I suggest to you that He is the Holy One of God? May I tell you who I am convinced that He is? I'm convinced that He really is God incarnate. I'm convinced that He really is God with us. May I encourage you to consider that this Christmas season? Who is this child? Who is this child? Sunday I told those of you who were here that he's not the cuddly little baby in a manger anymore. And I think at this time of year that that really is the only way that we're able to picture him in our mind's eye, isn't it? We picture him as this little child, this beautiful little thing. But I want you to know he's not a baby anymore. And you can't leave him in the manger. Did you hear that? He's not a baby anymore. And you cannot treat him as if he was. Do you know who he is? Right now, he's King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. And you either believe it and you serve him or you don't believe it and you don't. There's no middle ground. If he is God, then your only responsibility is to worship Him. If He's not God, why are we here? If He's not God, none of you are saved from your sins. If He's not God, all you're doing this Christmas season is racking up your debt and piling a bunch of junk in your house that you don't really need. If He is God, your lives can be changed. So I want to ask you, Who is this child? He said, I will come again. And I want to ask you, are you prepared for him to come again? Because if he said, if he is who he said he was, and if he said he is coming back, do you think that you can believe that he will? If he really is the Son of God, if he is God in the human flesh, and he said, I will come back, friends, I want you to know that you can mark it down. It is a historical fact that has not yet been accomplished. He will come back, do you see? Physically, literally, historically, just as he came the first time in that little manger, in that, in that stinky barn, he will come back. But he's not coming as a cuddly little baby. The first time he came as a baby to save sinners, the next time he comes, he's coming in full deity. He's coming in his full godly glory. And he's coming to judge sinners who have refused to believe in him. Tonight, tomorrow, whenever your families get together to celebrate his first advent or his first coming, I want to ask you, to pause and to ask yourselves, ask your families, who is this child? Why are we celebrating? Why does the entire world celebrate somebody who's not God? 
Who else in the history of the world has ever had the entire world and the entire world's commerce system stop to celebrate that person's existence? No one ever. Who is this child? I want to tell you, he is the son of the living God. He is the living God. He's God with us. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to hear your words speak the truth about Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, for the testimony that is compelling and irrefutable from credible people, credible witnesses, and from the mouth of you, our God himself. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be bold, that you would help us to be like Anna and to go everywhere speaking to everyone about you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be like the shepherds telling everyone in amazement of the birth of the Son of God. I pray, God, that you would help everyone in this room to ask themselves for a moment, who is this child? And I pray, Lord, that you would shape the eternity of their souls around that question and around their answer to that question. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for sending this child. May our hearts be humbled as we celebrate that he came to buy his right standing before you. 